Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. <laughs> we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and law with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Debunking, debunking. Debunking, debunking. <laughs> AKA scullying with a C. Don't ask us. Don't look it up. It just is oh, what it is. Oh, geez. Okay, no, I had, I, had, I had somebody message me about this being like, I had to look it up. And oh, then no. Emoji, and I was like, oh, no, no. Don't look it up. But I also realized the more we tell people to not look it up. They're going to look it up. They have to. No, like, because you can't. You can't say don't look something up and then expect that somebody's not going to look it up. That is correct. That is absolutely correct and valid. And, uh, you know, that's how we got here today. (laughs) That is how we got here today. (laughs) I'm so excited that it's October, though. And I'm so excited that it's spooky season. And it was really blustery here today. Lots of wind, um, lots of leaves, but they're really pretty colors. And I'm so excited that it's fall. And it is official a season of the spooky. That's just like day of the week ending and why for me but yes it's the the, like nationally recognized season of the spook i feel like that's us in general otherwise this podcast would not exist i mean that is that is true (laughs) so it's just a time to welcome new listeners who maybe Mm -hmm. just wanted to listen to something spooky for spooky season but welcome we talk about this year round um we do so Brace yourselves, because sometimes we do some uh, true crime, which we hope you Mm -hmm. enjoyed the last episode. That was very cool with our interview. A little interview, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we have some really fun topics coming up this month, and we're doing episodes every week. Every week, (laughs) for better or worse. Every week. I'm going cross-eyed, staring at a computer and editing. It's fine. And I will say, actually, though, for November... I know I've got a couple I'm really excited about beyond just spooky season. I know. Cause you're round, right? That's like we said. You're round. Well, and I'm like, I want to get to some more cryptoids because we've not yes. done quite as many cryptoids as, as I would like. Uh, we did the Jersey devil, but there's just so many. We got to talk about your boyfriend. <laughs> Bigfoot. Bigfoot. We got to <laughs> talk about him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bigfoot, I might put off for another day. There there are some cases I feel like are almost too big to... <laughs> too big to foot? <laughs> too big to foot. Hey. Um, but uh, no, no, no. no. I, w- I would do Bigfoot. Uh, Loch Ness Monster is one that, that's a personal favorite of mine. Nessie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my personal favorites that I plan to do actually is my first one in November is the Bender family. Which oh. I've been talking about for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really want to do the pants ones. <laughs> the pants ones? The Fresno Nightcrawler. I can't wait to talk about that one oh. at some point because that pants. just looks like pants running around in a yard with nobody in them. Um we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> him at some point. We got we got a, I got a whole I got a whole journal just full of topics. And generally we don't go in order, so it's just like a Pull one out of your hat and see what you get this week. So <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. But this week. This week. We have a fun topic. Mm-hmm. And this topic is that of Mercy Brown. And 
Mercy. If you haven't heard Mercy, if Mercy. you haven't heard of Mercy Brown, you will have, you know, the air and wind knocked out of you during this episode. Hold on to your pants. Hold on to your pants. I hope you're in them and you're not the Fresno Nightcrawler. Um, I mean, Fresno Nightcrawler can hold on to his pants too. You just can't see him. He's translucent. Well, he should, he should be extra careful about pants then. You know, he's just real magical like that. Um, <laughs> but I really wanted to title this episode... Eat Your Heart Out, Mercy Brown, America's First Vampire, for a couple of different reasons. And you'll understand the phrase, eat your heart out, Ooh. in a little bit. So Okay. It's very Hannibal Lecter. I love it. Oh, just you wait. This is going to be so up your alley. You have no idea. All right. So, yes. So there's no question that we love a good vampire story. We've talked <laughs> about vampires before. We've debunked. The <laughs> It's like talked, be debunked, and kind of been dicks. Whatever. You know, gone historically into it. We covered the casket girls. We, we talked did. about the Ursuline convent. That's right. We hung out with our friend Vlad the Impaler. Vlad. Hashtag everyone's named Vlad. You know? <gasps> Is there going to be a Vlad in this episode? Who knows? Maybe. <gasps> Just you wait. But we also talked about the resulting Drac. Dracula. Wahaha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, which I have a, I lo- have a true love for, you know, what we do in the shadows and all things vampire <laughs> related. If you haven't heard what? me talk about it yet, what? it's such a good show. You've got to watch it, but that's not what this episode's about. Um, don't, don't get Gabby started. She'll never stop. <laughs> accurate. Um, so the legend of vampires actually originated in Slavic Europe where the word vampire first appeared in the 10th century. And there's even Greek lore, including characters that either consume children or drink blood. Uh, Right? Uh, You know, in our topics, we generally come across things like this. But hey, that's a story for another time. So let's talk about this story. Okay. Now, I will preface this by saying there is a lot of lore connected to this. There is some truth behind this as well. So we're going to kind of differentiate between the two. There is a bit of a fine line. So this story begins in the late 1800s in New England, in Exeter, Rhode Island, to be exact. It is one of the best documented cases of exhumation of a corpse in order to perform rituals to banish an undead manifestation. So local families were digging up dead relatives suspected, you you know, suspected of being vampires Mm -hmm. and desecrating their bodies in a misguided effort to protect the living from the consumption that was taking so many lives. But with good intent, these Latter-day Vampire Hunters removed and burned their loved ones' hearts and then fed the ashes of those hearts to the ill in hopes that it would heal them. Yeesh. Oh, not supposed to do that. That doesn't sound delicious. I mean... Up for discussion. (laughs) Up for discussion. This particular incident became part of the wider New England vampire panic in which multiple families experienced what they thought were vampires. Mm -hmm. Again, superstition and lore were strong with this one. But 
this wasn't the first time that we've seen vampire lore, right? So the practice of disinterring accused vampires likely began in Eastern Europe, spreading to Western countries, including France and England in the 1700s, and then to rural New England. No surprise there. Where vampire panics were common up through the late 1800s, particularly in Rhode Island, which later earned the nickname Transylvania of North America. Okay, that's something I actually had not heard before. (laughs) I don't know why I've never heard that anyone from Rhode Island has never mentioned that they are from Transylvania of North America because that is the coolest name drop. You know, and I I have some friends that live there and I feel like now I'm going to kind of question them why they never (laughs) are going to tell them. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know. The more you know. So at home and abroad, vampire scares usually began when, uh, no surprise here, a person died, usually of a contagious disease. And in New England, this contagious disease was almost always tuberculosis. So I'm going to give a bit of a history lesson about tuberculosis in case you're not familiar with this. Consumption. Consumption, as it was called, had started to plague New England in the 1730s and This was a few decades before the first known vampire scares. So by the 1800s, when the scares were at their height, the disease was the leading cause of mortality throughout the Northeast and was responsible for almost a quarter of all deaths. So that's a lot of deaths. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh And it was not fun. It was a terrible way to go. (laughs) Consumption wasn't fun? What? (laughs) Something called consumption? (laughs) You know what's bad when it's literally called consumption. Um, if you need a reference for it, too, uh, in Moulin Rouge, <laughs> what Satine had was consumption. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. There's a lot of references to it, to be honest. Um, oh, yeah. It shows up in... Dr- well, in, in, in La Boheme, it's consumption uh, mm-hmm. that, that Mimi has, and then that got changed for rent, but, you know. Eh. You're a nerd. Happens. happens. So uh, <laughs> consumption was incredibly mm. contagious and it took lives without any mercy, pun mm. intended. Mm. Um, symptoms included a skyrocketing fever, hacking, bloody cough, mm-hmm. and a wasting away of the body, which is hence why it was called consumption. So, quote, the emaciated figure strikes one with terror, reads one 18th century description, the forehead covered with drops of sweat, the cheeks painted with a livid crimson, the eyes sunk, the breath offensive, Ooh. quick and laborious, and the cough so incessant as to scarce allow the wretched sufferer time to tell his complaints. Symptoms progressed in such a way that it seemed like something was draining the life and blood out of somebody. People dreaded this disease and they did not understand it. Though Robert Koch had identified the tuberculosis bacterium in 1882, news of the discovery did not penetrate rural areas for a while. (laughs) I had to do puns there. I'm so sorry. And, you know, just for you, Kim. And thank you. Also, drug treatments weren't available until the 1940s, which is crazy to think about now that it went like literally 60 years without having any kind of drug treatment. But I mean, time of life, you know, not that surprising. Right. So the year that Mercy Brown died, 
By the way, her name was Lena Mercy Brown, but a lot of people referred to her as Lena or Mercy. So you'll be Mm -hmm. hearing me referencing her as Lena Mercy or Mercy. Mm -hmm. But the year that she died, one physician blamed tuberculosis on, quote, drunkenness and want among the poor, end quote. Uh oh. If it's drunkenness, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Watch out. Consumption's coming for you. Damn. Um, so 19th century cures included. Are you ready for this? This is a good time. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring so it. If you Bring have consumption, it. this is how you solve it. You want to uh. drink brown sugar dissolved in water and frequent horseback riding. So get get on your horse. Go for a ride. <laughs> what was the horseback riding supposed to do? <laughs> I don't know. Get it out of your system somehow. But that sure. was literally considered a cure. So sure. don't think it worked. Just going to say that now. What? No. And actually, this is a quote. If they were being honest, the medical establishment would have said, there's nothing we can do, and it's in the hands of God. Sure. So as something thought to be in the hands of God, it was also highly associated with superstition, mm. as it is. So the unknown can sometimes be more dangerous than the truth. Am I right? You know, that still applies today. I'm just going to put that out there now. (laughs) So it's just interesting to see that dynamic, right? Right. And a combination of the ignorance of epidemiology theories Mm -hmm. and the simple local folk superstition produced an alternative to the unknown germ theories of the time. It must be unnatural. It must be a vampire. Vampire. So, people surmised that the dead person had come back to drain the family member's blood, and the exhumation and the staking, burning, beheading, and whatever else followed, depending on where people lived, were an effort to protect the community. So, you're just doing your due diligence for your community, man. You know, just got to stake them. Gabby, if if you need to do your due diligence with me and stake me through the heart, cut my head off, stuff garlic in it, and then light me on fire, I am happy. To have that noted, happen. noted, noted. Just throwing that out there. If you feel like you need to do it, it's it's cool. It's also recorded now, so we have evidence that we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so often, the vampire hunters were not disappointed when they pried open the graves because many natural signs of decay. Fun fact: like bloating or uh-huh. bleeding from various orifices, <laughs> actually also- looks like. <laughs> It's just women on their period, wasn't it? I mean, I was going to say it looks like evidence of midnight feasts, but that could also be a thing. So who knows? PMS is tough, guys. PMS is tough. There's bloating. There's bleeding. (laughs) Your hair's all funny. Your skin looks oily. Alive, so we can only imagine what happens once you die. (laughs) Oh no! Did we accidentally just bury a bunch of women on their periods and think that they were dead, and then accuse them of being vampires? It's possible, and I feel like we just made every male listener so uncomfortable. I'm so happy for that. I'm so happy for a variety of reasons. <laughs> if I no, no, if I have to listen to my male friends talk about their dick, which I do, PS, I hear more about their penises than any human being needs to know. And the hair and the like hair in their butt. Oh, I know. And so they can deal with hearing the word period and menstruation. Just menstruation. Menstruation. Hashtag menstruation. Hashtag vampire menstruation. <laughs> Oh, Oh, no. What did I do? (laughs) So 
in Rhode Island. Several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered a sequence of tuberculosis infections, or as we said, consumption, aptly named. And the community had their opinions on why, because, you know, everybody has to have their opinion. We'll get to their opinions in a minute, but let's talk about how they were affected. Everyone has assholes too. It doesn't mean they're worthwhile. (laughs) And most opinions are from assholes, so it works out. Right. Just saying. So the mom, Mary Eliza, she was the first to go. She was the first to die of the disease in December Uh of 1882. Pretty immediately after that, the next year in 1883, their eldest daughter, Mary Olive, she was a 20-year-old dressmaker. She lost her battle with consumption. They actually published a really sweet obituary in the local newspaper, And it said, quote, the last few hours she lived was of great suffering, yet her faith was firm and she was ready for the change. And the whole town turned out for her funeral and sang the song, One Sweetly Solemn Thought, which was a hymn that Mary Olive herself had selected for her own funeral. Sad, dark, but, you know, nice that they did it. Nice that they did it. And then they had a son. And the son was named Edwin. He also contracted the disease. He was described as, quote, a store clerk whom one newspaper columnist described as being a big, husky young man. A big, husky young man? That is Was that code for just like... Big boy. Big, like, like, like the big shops at the big and tall store? It just makes me think of Gaston. Like, that's what I think of. Oh, I guess thinking of like Pugsley, but yeah. (laughs) Maybe if they had a baby, it would be like perfect. (laughs) Pugsley and Gaston together forever. Um, Yeah, that was Edwin. And once he found out that he was sick, he really wanted to take measures in his own hands to prevent his own death. So he went to a wellness center in Colorado Springs to try to heal with the drier climate and the cleaner air. And this actually did earn him a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. But after a few years, Edwin goes home in, quote, a dying condition. And that was according to one account. In another account, it said, if the good wishes and prayers of his many friends could be realized, friend Eddie would speedily be restored to perfect health. But I I will say, I do think it's important people realize if anyone is not familiar with the disease, you could have this for years. Oh, yeah. You could absolutely have it for years. Like, it it wasn't like catching pneumonia and catching it and and it going bad and being dead within a couple weeks. Like, you could live with consumption for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. You were still going to die, but you could live with (laughs) consumption for quite a long time. I love that. But you're going to die. You're dying. Well, I mean... (laughs) That's, that's just, I'm sorry. That's just, I mean, it's facts, facts, man. But, but you could have it for quite a long time and keep it, I don't know if under control is the right word, but there was treatments, the drier climate, the, yeah. yeah. They had ways about trying to manage it, but there were Mm -hmm. also types of consumption that didn't really have symptoms that were more asymptomatic. So people Mm -hmm. could have it, but you wouldn't Asymptomatic? What? I mean, this literally everything I'm talking about right now makes me feel like I'm talking about COVID and I really don't want to say that I'm talking about COVID because I'm not, but there is a strong parallel here, guys. Just saying. Um, (laughs) Anywho, so in December 1891, 
Edwin took a turn for the worse, and he began to succumb quickly to the disease. At this time, he's still alive, okay? Okay. He's just not doing super well. Right. But he's still kicking. Still kicking. Now, his sister, Uh Lena Mercy Brown, who we mentioned earlier. Right. She became ill shortly after this. Uh And her tuberculosis was the, quote, galloping kind. (laughs) Galloping. (laughs) Which I think is funny because they talked about get on a horse and ride around if you want to get better. But they're going to name a type of tuberculosis galloping. I think that's a little bit messed up. Well, I wonder if there was maybe a relation between... Why it was called, I don't know, who knows. Well, galloping in this reference means that she had those asymptomatic qualities for Uh years and didn't know she was sick. But Mm. when the signs of the disease started to show, it was fast. So things happened really quickly. So So it took off at a gallop. Exactly. That's why it's called galloping. But I still think it's funny that riding a horse is a reference and making you feel better and you're going to call this galloping. So a doctor attended her in her last illness, a newspaper said, and, quote, informed her father that further medical aid was useless. So that's a conversation that has to be rough to have with a parent. And then published in the newspaper is just pretty rough. Um, That's kind of messed up. You know, people didn't really care that much back then. It really seems like. So consumption took her life quicker than any of her other family members. So by January 1892, she was dead. Her obituary stated, quote, Miss Lena Brown, who had been suffering from consumption, died Sunday morning. Sidebar. Why were they so nice about her sister? But for her, they're like, nope, she's dead. She died Sunday. And that's all that they're going to say. It's a little like, I don't know, a little strange, but that's just. Was her sister married? No. Hmm. She was a dressmaker. It doesn't say oh, anything else right, about right. her. Yeah. Hmm. But I could see why if she was married that they would say something nicer because it Wait, reputation. Your, your, your status went up when you were married in those days. That's true. But I don't <laughs> think she was. So now think about it. Okay. January. East Coast. Right. It's not cold. hot. It's, it's really cold. It's actually the opposite of hot. It's what one would call fucking cold. <laughs> You're welcome. Real chilly. Um, So due to the harsh temperatures of New England, Mercy was placed in a holding vault on the cemetery property. (laughs) That sounds awful. Well, it was because they couldn't (laughs) dig the grave because the ground was frozen. So literally. Imagine like. Well, think about it. She's basically sitting in a metal or like not, maybe not metal. She's basically sitting in a. A vault that's above ground. So I I would only imagine like... Chilling in the fridge, you know. Yeah, literally <laughs> freezing because you're in frozen temperatures. And now when we think scientifically speaking, what happens when your body freezes? Do you decompose? No. Oh, you sure don't. So that's interesting. Remember that. Mm-hmm. I'm re- noted. So townsfolk reported seeing Mercy at this point. Now she's dead, right? But they like are seeing her like... Out and about, or just oh, oh, she's walking around in the cemetery. She's she going to the store. Well, she went through the fields. So Did she buy a new hat? I don't think she had a new hat. No, she just was well, walking you around. Know, listen, girl, if you're gonna walk around and be all undead, buy a new fucking hat. Just well, buy a hat. You know, uh-huh. she didn't just walk around. She decided she was gonna visit her brother Edwin. 
date. Oh, uh, well, brother visiting. That's cool too. So she, Edwin reported that his sister Mercy was quote sitting on his chest, suffocating him <laughs> in his bed. And my brother used to do that to me too when I was a kid. Yeah, but your brother's alive, and that's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> True. So <laughs> people started to like spread these rumors and talk about seeing Mercy out and about, out on the town, but she's dead. <laughs> so you know, it's interesting that the question is did they think she looked good were they like you know who i saw the other day who looked just great i saw that lovely mercy and you know for a dead girl she was looking really nice oh was she mildred was she looking nice she was looking just lovely she had fresh color in her cheeks she had a new hat she didn't have a new hat because she didn't go shopping for one i'm sorry continue you know it's a nice addendum i'm not mad So several townspeople are kind of freaked out. So they now approach George Brown, the dad, and they offered (laughs) George Brown, Brown, most basic name in the world. Most basic name in the world. I love it. (laughs) Offered an alternative take on the recent tragedies. They thought perhaps an unseen diabolical force was preying on his family. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It could be that one of the three brown women wasn't dead after all. Instead, secretly feasting, quote, on the living tissue and blood of Edwin, end quote. And that is from the Providence Journal. So wait, in the newspaper, this was in the paper. Correct. Oh my God. That's why in the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that this is the most highly documented case because there's information in here that talks about facts of things that actually happened based on lore. So it's crazy that this actually happened. So they also said that if the offending corpse, and now this is where they say the journal actually used the term vampire in some stories. But the locals did not use that term at all. Okay. So they used the term offending corpse. So if the offending corpse was discovered and destroyed, then Edwin would recover and he would be all better. So friends and neighbors of the family believed that one of the dead family members had caused the illnesses of all the people in the family. So what did the townspeople suggest? They suggested that George dig up all of his dead female relatives and figure out who was causing the deaths. Like you do. As one does. As one does. So George Brown was persuaded to give permission to exhume several bodies of his family members. And the people that dug them up were villagers, the local doctor, and a newspaper reporter. And they exhumed the bodies on March 17th, 1892. Now, in small communities where disease could spread quickly, an exhumation was, quote, an outward display that you are doing everything you can to fix the problem. So while we might look at it as, what the hell are you doing? Put your people back in the ground. This is an illness caused by germs. Like, right. that's where our logical mind is. They're thinking, well, maybe this could work. So I'm going to use all of my sources and try to fix the problem if I can. So just pretty wild, kind of bonkers. So first they take out the bodies of both Mary Eliza and Mary Olive. And they both had died a decade prior. So they had decomposed. As as one does. As 
a dead body does, fully decomposed. Um, and they were not thought to be the cause. So, you know, natural decomposition is expected for something like that. Right. If they weren't, I would be worried. Uh, you think? Just a smidge, you know? So... Now, what they were looking for specifically was an any kind of unnatural state of decomposition or presence of blood. Right. So now Mercy. Mercy's corpse exhibited almost no decomposition and was almost entirely preserved. It was reported that her face was flush, so she did look good. Her veins and organs were full of blood. Her body had moved and that her hair and nails had grown. Most surprisingly, though, she still had blood in her heart. So this was taken as a sign that Mercy was undead and was the agent of young Edwin's condition. Pause. Scully time. So. (laughs) It hurts, Gabby. It hurts. It hurts. All right. Calm down. Pump your brakes. We're scullying. We're scullying. We need to scully this. So, you know, never mind while winter and its effects because... Thank you. Winter's a thing. It Uh, is a thing. It's a thing that affects corpses. Lots of things, especially corpses. So her lack of decomposition was more likely due to the fact that her body was being stored in a literal freezer. Uh And it had only been two months since she had died, so... What the hell did you expect? But people are dense and not scientific at this point in time. So you know what they think at this point in time? Vampires. Vampire. Vampire. She is full of blood. She's been eating blood. Not. I mean, like, come on, common sense. Like, I have notes. You're full of blood because your body is full of blood. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh. <gasps> You're full of blood. You're full of blood. It's not menstrual or because you decided to have a... You can be full of both. Thank you very much. That's true, but it's not always. (laughs) So I would hope not. That would be weird. But also, it's not because you're eating people. So, I mean, it could be both. We never know. You know? You never know. Don't judge other people's people's eating habits. That's true. You know, Hannibal. So as superstition dictated, Mercy's heart and liver were cut out and burned on a nearby stone. Oh. And the ashes were then mixed with water to create a tonic. And this tonic was then given to Edwin to drink. The brother. The brother who is still alive. He's the only one left. Giving it to him, hoping that it's going to resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead. So, you know, I Kim, I know you love a good drink, but this is not the ideal type of tonic, am I right? Does it pair well with whiskey? Well, you could call it good old heart juice, or sure. you could eat or drink your heart out. I mean, I'm just saying, if it pairs well with whiskey, I'll try anything once. Uh, you know, noted. Guys, if you want to help contribute to our Patreon... <laughs> Kim will it's take just, a shot. It's just Kim's whiskey fund. <laughs> of, of Kim will take a shot of whiskey while drinking ashes mixed with water as a tonic, as a, <laughs> as a I might have to this episode. Only the ashes of your loved ones. Specifically. Um, you have specifically. to send it to us in the mail and then I, drink them. 
I will only do this with the ashes of your loved ones. You are being our lovely listeners. So if you will provide us with the ashes of your loved ones, I will mix them into my whiskey and give it a shot. Let you know how it turns out. Pun intended. Oh my goodness. <laughs> eat your heart out. That's eat my that's my out. hashtag for this episode is eat it your heart be. out. <laughs> so now here's the question. Ultimate question. Do you think that it worked? Do you think it healed Edwin? No. Sure no, I didn't. <laughs> sure did not. Edwin actually died two months later. Oh, buddy. And did he die of drinking the ashes of his loved one? I mean... At this point, who knows? But he did. Uh, So what remained of Mercy's body was buried in the cemetery of the Baptist Church in Exeter after being desecrated. And that nearby stone where the heart and liver were burned apparently is still there to this day. Wow. So there was no... I mean, I'm down. Let's go. There was no other additional evidence to surmise that Mercy was a vampire. Because, you know, I'm sorry, evidence. Evidence evidence but leave it to superstition to name mercy as the first american vampire have mercy lord have mercy eat your heart out american vampire (laughs) so with the evolution of medical science this is where things actually get kind of interesting because you have to keep in mind this town is a small town And usually when you're in small towns, like, all the gossip gets blown out of proportion, right? Right. But sometimes it doesn't spread outside of the small town. So at this point in time, there is an evolution happening with medical science. And all Mm -hmm. of the vampire symptoms and epidemic struggles can be easily explained with basic pathology. So the legend of, right, the legend of Mercy Brown is based on fact So she is the most famous of about 100 people that were desecrated post-mortem in the 1800s during the more than 75 years of the New England vampire hysteria. Wild. Wow. Wow. So-called vampires do escape the grave in at least one real sense. They're stories. So Lena Mercy Brown's surviving relatives actually saved newspaper clippings in a family scrapbook. Guess where they put them? They're in the refrigerator. They put them alongside carefully copied recipes. <laughs> so heart juice? Maybe put ashes of your dead relatives on chicken breast for spices. Or uh, this Mm -hmm. recipe calls for a teaspoon of ashes of grandma's heart. I mean, to each his own. But the tale traveled much farther than they even knew. And at this time, New England's vampire panics struck onlookers as a baffling anachronism. So the late 1800s were a period of social progress and scientific flowering, so people were hearing about this and freaking out. Many of the Rhode Island exhumations occurred within 20 miles of Newport, which was high society's summer nucleus, where the scions of the Industrial Revolution began to flourish. And at Mm -hmm. first, only people who lived in or had visited the vampire-ridden communities knew about the scandal. Quote, We seem to have been transported back to the darkest age of unreasoning ignorance and blind superstition instead of living in the 19th century in an estate calling itself enlightened and Christian, end quote. One writer at a small town, Connecticut paper, said in the wake of an 1854 exhumation. So it's not just Lena Brown that this is happening to, but her story 
made news. So that reporter that was there, the one who was like hanging out while she was exhumed, right? He actually worked for the Providence Journal and he witnessed her unearthing and he wrote a whole article on it. So then that Mm. got out. Then a well-known anthropologist named George Stetson came to Rhode Island and probed, quote, the barbaric superstition in the area. And he wanted to know what was that. So he ended up being published in the American Anthropologist Journal. And his account of New England's vampires made waves everywhere. This is where people started to really hear about it. So before long, even members of the foreign press were offering various explanations about the phenomena. Perhaps... Yeah, it's wild. Perhaps the, quote, neurotic modern novel was driving the New England madness. This is where it gets good. Are you ready? Hold on. I'm ready. Bring it. Bring it. Hold on to your butts. Or maybe shrewd local farmers had just Uh simply been pulling Stetson's leg. Then a writer. Crop circles. You know? Aliens. Aliens. (gasps) Are vampires aliens? Who knows? Maybe. (gasps) I want to believe. Nice. That's so nice. All right. A writer for the London Post declared that whatever forces drove the, quote, Yankee vampire, Uh it it was an American problem and most certainly not a product of a British folk tradition, even though most of the families in that area could trace their lineage directly back to England. Then, in the Boston Daily Globe, a writer went so far as to suggest that, are you ready? I'm ready. Quote, perhaps the frequent intermarriage of families in these backcountry districts may partially account for some of their characteristics, end quote. It's like the best yo mama joke ever. And this was published in the Boston Daily Globe. It also makes me, I want to start a song. I'm a Yankee Doodle vampire. Yankee Doodle do do do. The real life. My heart. Nephew of my uncle Vlad. Born on October 31st. I love that. I feel like that should be our intro music now. Totally be our intro music. But isn't that bonkers? That's that's so, crazy. such shade. That's like that's, so much shade. That's epic shade. I just think wow. it's funny. Like, it's so, like, it's really just comical looking back at this and reading that. So then there's more. In 1896, this is really actually interesting. And this is our fun fact of the day moment. Fun fact of the day. In 1896, a clipping from the New York world found its way into the papers of a London stage manager and aspiring novelist named none other than Bram Stoker. <gasps> Yeah! Whose theater company was touring the U.S. the same year. So you know Bram. We talked about him earlier. We talked about Bram. His gothic masterpiece, Dracula, was published in 1897. So, fun fact. Some say that there wasn't enough time for the news accounts to have influenced the Dracula manuscript. But others see Lena Mercy... In the character of Lucy, her literal name combining Lena and Mercy to equal Lucy as a teenage girl suffering from consumption, then turned vampire and is exhumed in one of the novel's most memorable scenes, which funny enough, a medical doctor presides over Lucy's disinterment just as one oversaw Lena's, which is a questionably perfect 
parallel. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Wow. That's bonkers. That's so cool. That's my favorite fun, ba- fun fact of the day. Mm. So <sighs> Lena Mercy's historic exhumation is referenced also in H.P. Lovecraft's The Shunned House, which also mm. is a short story about a man being haunted by dead relatives. And it, it includes happens. a living character named Mercy. Ooh. So you might want to read that. This is like early creepy critics corner, but not. Yeah, quite. no, but it's it's intriguing to me how much there was just this domino effect, though, of I, I love tracing back the origins of something. Oh, I know. Me too. That's why I wanted to talk about this topic, because I heard about it when it came about Dracula. Right. And that's how I actually heard about uh, Mercy Brown. And then I was like, wait, but this story is wild. It also is the very first episode of Lore's podcast, which, I mean, when Lore first started, and Hmm. Lore is great. Lore is wonderful. And they have such great research. And this is part of the first episode. They discuss a couple of other topics, but vampires are like the main topic for that first episode. That was one of the first times I heard of Mercy Brown, not just associated with Dracula. Right. But there's more information, too. So there's a guy. His name is Dr. Michael Bell. He wrote a book called Food for the Dead on the Trail of New England's Vampires. And it comprehensively covers the story of Mercy Brown and outlines not just her story, but cases of other stories that are very similar to hers during the same exact time. And it includes an account of the events as told by the remaining descendants of Mercy about Mercy. Which reminds me oh. of when we talked about the Bell Witch and yeah. the whole research on the Bell Witch, talking mm-hmm. about the accounts of the people that were there. Similar, but in regards to Mercy Brown. Hmm. I'm wondering who? Who wrote it? Everybody else was dead. Um, that's just me. <laughs> but uh, in his book, he also discusses other cases. And one of the cases that really stood out to me, also is from the New England Vampire Hysteria, is that mm-hmm. of Nellie Vaughn. So Nellie mm. Vaughn was 19 years old when she died. Right. She was buried in 1889 in West Greenwich, Rhode Island. And today, the so-called vampire is almost as famous as Mercy Brown herself. Mm. Her cemetery has frequently been visited, vandalized, and her headstone was broken, which sucks. Mm. And I feel so bad for that, but I would totally visit it. But I wouldn't, like, desecrate it. No, no, no. There's a difference between appreciating and ruining. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But um, in the book, Belle discusses evidence, evidence, suggesting that Vaughn's is actually a case of mistaken identity. And that her contemporaries never actually accused or exhumed her at all. Um, And the superstition arose like in the last half a century or so and might be a result of confusion with Mercy because she died at a similar date and age really close by. And the best part about Nellie Vaughn Mm -hmm. is her epitaph on her tombstone. I kind of want it on mine when I die. (laughs) It says, I am waiting and watching for you. Ooh. (gasps) I start saying that to my students. Yes. (laughs) I'm waiting and watching for you. I would just love to like hover over my grave as like a ghost and just creep people out, watch it and like laugh. Like that's, 
goals. See, what I want on my tombstone is, do you know that gif of Stitch from Lilo and Stitch, which is one of the best Disney movies I ever. love that movie. It's the best. Of Stitch being like, hey, and being all awkward. Mm-hmm. I want that on my tombstone, but like as a gif so that it's moving and doing his little like funny wave. That's, How do that's- you put a gif on a tombstone? We're going to figure it out soon. That's going to happen. Oh my gosh. That's you a know millennials idea. are going to make it happen. If anyone could do it. <laughs> if anyone could do it, millennials are going to do it. You know? But it gets a little bit better. I just have a tiny bit more for you. Okay. Because the legend doesn't actually end with her death. Oh. Lena Mercy Brown has not left entirely. Oh my. She is said to frequent a certain bridge. And has manifested as the smell of roses, or so they Ooh. say. I'm like, how do you know this? Did you talk to her? Did she I tell know, did, you? Hi? Do you know it's her specifically, and not just like? Well, I, there's some poor other ghost who's like, roses were my favorite, and everybody thinks it's Mercy, and it's not. It's me. I mean, just, this is where we say allegedly. <laughs> Well, I, just, I always think it's sad where we assume the most famous person associated with the place must be the spirit. And there's some poor unknown spirit just being like, guys. They couldn't be noticed in life or in death. So or in death. How sad is that? It is sad. So, I mean, hey, maybe it's somebody, but hey, there's a ghost story attached to this too. So let's talk about it. All right. Let's talk about it. She appears in children's books. You're going to say in children for a second. I was in like, children. that's terrifying. She manifests in children. <laughs> she takes them over. Uh, there's also a handful of like paranormal TV shows that have talked about her too. Um, I haven't fully looked into that TBH. Here's my favorite is that apparently in the cemetery where she's buried, Mercy Brown murmurs and you can hear her like creepily murmuring. But she's again, murmuring Mercy Brown. Murmur, 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 murmuring Mercy. That's that sounds like something that sounds like a tongue twister I would say with my students before acting class. Murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy. Yeah, that'll give you a little tongue twister right there. I'm gonna start using that as a warm-up. So but apparently there have been EVPs captured of this. Of murmuring um, mercy. Of mur- murmuring, murmuring mercy. Murmuring mercy. <laughs> See, he tries it five times fast. Murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy, murmuring mercy. You do a really great job at this. I cannot do it. I'm just going to say no. <laughs> you know, so, but I think it's actually really cool that they think that they've caught her on an EVP. No, it's Question, cool. That, that questionable, is cool. though. We don't know who it is. Um, I don't know. Murmuring mercy. I mean, be. has she never done us the courtesy of saying, hi, all, it's Murmuring Mercy? I don't think so. If she and has, so I, have polite. Not, I have not found any evidence, evidence evidence of that. It would have been really polite of her, and then it would just, it would make this whole thing easier. I'm just saying. Truly. It would answer a lot of questions for everybody. Murmuring Mercy, if you could just help, help, help us out. Help a girl out. You think she's going to listen to this episode? I, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're becoming more popular. Yeah, we're popular for the undead. She's going to murmur about us in the cemetery. We're going to get an EVP on it after she listens to this episode. It's important that we have a following. If our following's undead, that's fine. You know, and I'm she does angry. follow certain people. She does follow the terminally <laughs> ill, uh, literally, not like through social media, but... <laughs> That'd be a trick. That would be weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently the reason that she follows and visits the terminally ill is to tell them that dying isn't so bad. 
Well, that's nice of her. She is kind. So, you know, that is the story of Mercy Brown and the New England vampire panic slash hysteria. Eat your heart out, Mercy Brown. Hmm. Wow. That is, uh, that's really cool. (laughs) It's getting a little spooky for you. Let's creep you out. Talk about vampires and ghosts. Why not? I mean, you know, I think you're a good vampire story. You do. It is. I but do. it's also like, I think what makes this topic fascinating is it's not like a stereotypical vampire story. No. I, you know, and it's it's funny too because I I actually watched the movie earlier today because I'm, uh, this isn't really getting into Creepy Critics Corner, but it was, uh, it was another Dracula. It was, I don't know, Dracula has risen from the grave. And it's a hammer horror film, hammer vampire movie. Um, it's another Dracula movie and, and it was fine. But I remember being like, I'm have I've seen so many of these Hammer Dracula movies that I'm actually having trouble distinguishing between them. They all kind of follow the same generic basic yeah. plot. So I love stories like this because they are different. And this is historically relevant. Like there's yeah. actual documentation about this happening, which and is just awesome. Well, <laughs> you know, Clearly, we know why people were dying. It wasn't because they were not decomposing. It was right. because of tuberculosis and mm-hmm. an illness. And the only way that people could pretend like they had control over it or could cope with it emotionally was by connecting the story of a vampire to it to try to understand that they could potentially have control and help someone mm-hmm. in their family to become better. Right. The process in which they did it was real spooky and creepy uh, <laughs> and not, uh, dare I say, distasteful. But um, um. <laughs> But also very interesting. So you're welcome. Yeah. No, I, well, and, and I also really find interesting, like, the effect grief has on our reason. Oh, and our yeah. rationale. I mean, you, you see it in horror films a lot. Like, grief is a huge theme. But uh, how grief can make us very irrational. Totally. And that brings us to... What you watching? I'm still smack dab in 100 Days of Horror. Um, God, I've had more not wins than wins lately. Uh, I I have neglected posting to my Facebook group, and so I just did a slew of them today, and a lot of it was dreck. Um, I did, however, I, and I, I can't remember if I've recommended this before. Uh, I rewatched with a friend the other day via FaceTime. We, we watch movies together, and she had never seen Phantom of the Paradise. End of the Paradise is a favorite of mine. And so we 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 watched it. And it is, if you've never seen it before, she's a big Rocky Horror fan. And uh, it is kind of of that vein. It's this very campy uh, rock musical from Ooh. the 70s. It's a Brian De Palma film. It's early Brian De Palma. Um, it's ridiculous, but so much fun. And it's a take on Phantom of the Opera and Faust as Ooh. a... Uh, rock opera and the music is all by paul williams and i adore paul williams and he he's one of the stars of the film as well uh 
And it, it's just, it's a ridiculous movie, but it's so much fun. And it is one of my all-time favorite films. So it was really fun to, to revisit that. Uh, but I've also been watching, and this is a little unfair because this is not readily available, but I just watched a movie called Pull the Sorry. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Well, there's a good reason you haven't heard of it. Oh. It's, um, and it's sometimes called Bulgasari. Uh, it's a North Korean <laughs> monster movie. Sounds awesome, though. It's kind of their take. I don't want to say it's their take of Godzilla because that's not really fair. It's it's its own monster and its own legend. But part of why it's a really interesting film is because um, it was made by a director who was kidnapped and and taken to North Korea to produce movies. What? That's crazy. For Kim Jong-il because he was a, he was a fan. And, and so uh, oh this, God. I want to say this was actually the last one he made before the director was actually able to escape with his then wife um, who were both being held basically oh as prisoner God. to make movies. So the history of it is almost as interesting as the movie itself. The movie I itself I, I found was delightful. Um, the little Pulgasari monster was super cute at one point he's really tiny and he just keeps getting bigger but when he was tiny he was so cute but i i, I had a, a bootleg of the movie it's not easy to come by and i had a bootleg of it for a couple of years and i finally got around to watching it and it was really a good time um so if you're if, if nothing else look up the history of the movie because it's fascinating that's so crazy i uh, i also i know gabby you give me a hard time because i have cable but um <laughs> She does. She gives me a hard time because I have cable. She thinks it's a waste of money. <laughs> There's more effective ways. That's all. I love my cable. I love my commercials. You, you, and boo, I boo. love my AMC Fear Fest. Sure. This makes it sound like that AMC is a sponsor of ours. They're not. No, I wish they not. were. Then we'd be making real human money. Yeah, that'd but be cool. That'd be so cool. I love AMC Fear Fest. And this month they've actually been... And it's been a while since they've done this. They started beginning of October. They've been running horror films. So I've had AMC on nonstop and it's been like Tremors. I never get tired of watching Tremors. I will watch Tremors. Every time I find it on, I will watch it. That movie is goldmine and it is a gem. It is a gem of a movie. I haven't seen it. I need to watch <gasps> it. Gabby, my God. <laughs> if you had cable, you watch it right now. It's probably on AMC Fear Fest again. I could probably watch it on any streaming platform as well. <laughs> It's, listen, it doesn't just stream on a, I probably stream somewhere. I'll look it up. This time of year, one of my greatest pleasures is just turning television on, turning my cable on. Thank you. And just finding a horror film that's currently on and, and watching it. So um, that's kind of where I've been living. Uh, Fan of the Paradise, Brian De Palma, everyone should go watch it. Pulgasari, my God, so cool. And AMC Fear Fest. What have you been uh, consuming, Gabby? Well... I have been doing an opposite thing. Um, I have been watching Netflix. <laughs> I've been using my streaming. Netflix and chill. Uh, yeah, actually. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I actually have something spooky to talk about <gasps> on Creepy Yay. Critics Corner and not trash TV or a book. So, trash however, TV has its place. It does. It is spooky sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but. The Haunting of Bly Manor came oh, out. Yes, it did. And I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Oh, my God. I binged the whole thing in two days. And I have been, quote, unquote, busy 
with like lots of other things um, that I should not have been watching this, but got so hooked on it that I had to watch it. That's why I haven't um, started watching. I don't have time to yet. A couple reasons why it's great is that it's based on the book, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Which, yes. I was an English major. I love literature stuff and I love a spooky Almost not even like a spooky. It's very subtle. It's it's very much like a thriller yeah. novel. Well, it's, and how much have they? Do they pull from the innocence? Do they use that as an inspiration at all? Or I don't know. I'm have not super. Fam- in- no, oh, girl, girl. I'm not familiar with the innocence, but I can girl, look into that. Oh, it's the turn of the screw, but it's the movie with Deborah Kirk. Girl, okay, I'll watch it. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, Add that but- to creepy girls corner. Yes. What I like about the haunting shows, though, because last the last one they did was The Haunting of Hill House. What's really cool about the way that they incorporated the book, movies, what have you, is they have the storyline, but they also make it very modern and have a modern take on it. And they do the same exact thing with Bly Manor. And... Hmm. Fun facts, just for those of you, I, I mean, I don't talk to like most listeners, so just FYI. Um, one of the venues that I actually went to look at for a wedding venue was Thornwood Castle. Mm-hmm. And that is Which in, they use as the exterior. They literally, yeah. so I unfortunately did not have the best experience viewing this venue and trying to do a contract with them. So we did not move forward with them and that's fine. However, the venue of Thornwood Castle is legitimately haunted. It is the most beautiful home. And when I started watching Bly Manor, I was looking at the house on the outside and I was like, that looks like a Thornwood Castle. Pretty positive it is. Um no, so, it, it actually is. Yeah, and it's haunting me now. So the irony of the situation is that <laughs> now the actual... <laughs> haunted by... I am house. haunted by Thornwood Castle, which is Bly Manor, and then I just watched the entire season of it. However, I will say that Bly Manor is very tastefully done. I personally really enjoyed it. I think if you're someone that enjoys character development and like subtle nuances, you'll really appreciate this show. It's pretty mellow, like until about mm, two thirds of the way in and then it really picks up. So if you watch the first couple episodes and you're like, this is boring, maybe it's not for you. That's fine. But it sounds very literary in the way that it's narrated. It sounds like it's straight from the book. It's really well done in that sense. Um, Stylistically, how similar is it to Hill House then? Because like a Hill House was commercially, not just for people who like horror and spooky things hill house was something the haunting of hill house was something that transcended genre fans it became pop culture yeah would you say that the haunting of Bly manor do you think it will be the same or do you think it it's not quite as wide reaching because i i haven't i've watched hill house i haven't watched this one yet i feel it might be a slightly different audience mainly because it is very niche in the sense that it is more of a thriller than it is like jump scares. Um, there were a couple jump scares in Hill House. Well, but do you think, I mean, types of scares aside, yeah. do you think it will still appeal? Because I don't think people watch Hill House just because there's jump scares. No, um, for sure. Hill House was a story about a family. And at the end of the day, the horror became secondary. The ghost story really became secondary to the story of this family. Do you think that the same could be said to in Bly Manor yes. or do you think it is something that is going to be more for genre fans? I think it's the first option. Oh. I think it is a very emotionally driven 
right. show and kind of what you were saying earlier about how people grieve is mm-hmm. shown often in oh horror. It's, yeah it's a huge theme in horror this is Grief. massive in this in and i mean in both seasons it's been yeah. it plays very much on not just the ghost story but like love stories it plays on grief and loss and like mm-hmm. how people process death and mm-hmm. like maybe what is haunting you is not the literal ghost but like the feelings that come along with grieving a loss yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I I will say is very prevalent in both seasons. So, okay. if you liked the first one, you'll probably like this one. I like cool. this one more than the first one personally. Oh, that's interesting because I, I I'm very excited. I uh, binge the first one. I was trying to get my folks into it. My mom was into it. It's my dad's hard to get into anything he thinks is horror, which is you guys. Sh- yeah. No, I struggle a little with him because I felt like Haunting of Hill House was such a good example, again, of something that, yes, it's it's rooted in a ghost story, but it's a story of a family. I think there's a lot of stories people are really quick to dismiss because they say it's horror, mm-hmm. where horror is such a a huge genre. Yeah. And, and has some really important storytelling i mean I, uh, that's like this is a whole other episode all in itself so it is spooky time uh actually what i would love to hear from our listeners is what are some of your favorite spooky things for this month what are your favorite shows to watch what are the things you go back to over and over i know that i for one i tend to rewatch all the treehouse of horror episodes of the simpsons that's like a thing for me this time of year um i like rewatching television show episodes halloween episodes of television shows but what else are your spooky movies like send them to us hit us up on instagram yeah so having said that thank you for listening yeah thank you and we want to encourage you if you listen on apple podcasts to go over to apple podcasts and rate and review us please it's so helpful when people do that and it truly makes our days oh my god it's so much when when gabby texts me a new review man it's just it fills that bucket it does i i it 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 makes my day surely and we also have patreon we want to thank lola Lola, thank you for joining our Patreon. And we want to encourage everyone to, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, check out what's on there. We actually have different settings where you can donate whatever you feel like you would like to donate. And And we have new things. We have lots of new stuff. We We got our shit together a little bit. (laughs) Sometimes we do. You know, it happens. It happens. But we have, um, in the next month, new stuff coming out to all of our And we've got some cool stuff for for the holidays, too, planned. Yes. So if you haven't joined yet, check it out. It's on patreon.com slash ghoulish tendencies. We also have an Instagram. It is ghoulish tendencies podcast. We generally like to post pictures based on what we discuss. Uh So check us out on there. Also, feel Feel free to communicate with us on there too. We love to yeah. hear from you guys. We also have Facebook is a Facebook page and it's Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have Twitter, which is Ghoulish Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have our website. Our website is right. ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our show notes and all of our references to where we do our research is on there as well as every single episode, some pictures. If you want to contact us, you want to learn about us, do a little bit of a history research on your own about who we are. 
check it out. It's got some info on there for you. That is also a very central place to check out all of our social media. So if you mm-hmm. just want to check that out. And you can find Gabby and I individually on social media. Um, mine's mostly going to be pictures of whiskey and my cat. You're welcome. Yep. And mine doesn't really have much on it right now. But as you know, we like to keep things spooky year-round. So we do. stay tuned if you haven't told your friends yet about us. Please help us help you and get a bigger following so that way we can help provide you with the spookiness you love all the time. And our one-year anniversary is coming up. Oh, my gosh, it is. <laughs> really? Yeah, we've almost been doing this a full year uh, of ghoulish tendencies. So... And we're going to have some cool things in November as well, not yeah. just October. Yeah. It's going to be cool all year. So even though mm-hmm. we're saying October is like lit, like truly every episode, every season, every yeah. month is lit. So thank you for listening mm-hmm. and stay, stay spooky. spooky. <laughs>